tell me specifically not to preach and to have him do it in my place. So it's all about God's word and God's spirit. So Pastor Ray, would you come and bless the people? Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you, Pastor. God is so good. And uh, baby, it's cold outside. But we got some Holy Ghost fire going on in here. Let's just hop right in to the word. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5 tonight. And um, what I want to talk to you about, my own particular title for what we're going to do tonight, I call it Bullet Points of Wisdom. Bullet Points of Wisdom. And if you don't know what a bullet point is, uh, if, you, if you're at work and uh, somebody just wants to break it down for you, get out all the the, the, uh, the long sentences and so on and just give you bullet points of what needs to be done, little short phrases that are easy to get and easy to run with. And so what we're going to look at tonight is not every bullet point in the chapter, but several that I believe that we need to just focus in on tonight. Bullet points of wisdom out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Are you there? Yes. All right. Let's uh, start with verse 16. We'll go down to verse 22. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. And abstain from every form of evil. And what I want to do tonight is, uh, uh, you know, look at this like it was our end of the year checklist. As though just to uh, prepare for what God's got for us as a church and individually in the year 2011. Uh, this is just a, a checklist of things that we need to make sure we're up on. And uh, they're not the only list of things that we could come up with. There's so many things in, in the word, but I believe that these are the right ones for us to hit tonight. Rejoice always. You know, I just love that. Of course, we often sing the song based out of Philippians 4, 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I love the spirit of the apostle Paul there. It's like, just in case you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to say it again. And of course, repetition in the scripture, if it's in there twice, you know it's important. I mean, if it's in there once, it's important enough. But when God repeats himself, you know you better be listening. And, and, and the idea of rejoicing always, because what that does, that sets an atmosphere in your life. Just like if you complained always, you'd have an atmosphere set in your life. Yeah, there, there'd be an atmosphere around you. It'd be like a cloud around you and... Uh, I know I don't know about anybody else, but I probably wouldn't want to hang with you all that much because I don't want to listen to your complaining all the time. But rejoicing, I get right in there and rejoice with you. Why? Because, my Lord, we got so much to rejoice about. Why don't, why don't you go quickly to Psalm 5? I want you to check something out. Psalm 5. But the Bible talks about plenty of reasons to rejoice. You know, over in Psalm 35, 27, it says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor your righteous cause. I mean, just the fact that you're favoring God's cause, that you and God are on the same side, that you are in agreement with him. 
that's reason to rejoice right there, that you're favoring his cause. You know what Jesus said when uh, uh, the disciples came back and were all excited about all the, the signs and the wonders that, that had uh, uh, happened through them as they went out on their own and they came back to Jesus and said, Lord, we, we saw this happening, we saw this happening, and even the spirits are subject unto us through your name. Jesus said, oh yeah? Well, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject unto you. Let me give you a reason to rejoice. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And the thing about rejoicing is that you can always just get down to the bottom line. Even if it looks like there's nothing else to rejoice about, you can always find something to rejoice about. Because if your name's written in heaven, glory to God, that's a reason to rejoice forever and ever and ever. That means you aren't going to hell. That means that you are free. That means that you are saved. That means that you are delivered. Your name is written in heaven. Reason to rejoice. Psalm 5, verse 11, I want to read that. It says, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. There's a whole lot of rejoicing talk in this verse. And it gives you three reasons why you can rejoice always. Number one, because you put your trust in him. And the wonderful thing about putting your trust in him, he'll never burn you. Have you gotten burned before? Hey, now. I know you have and I have. There, there's been times people have disappointed us and let us down. But he won't burn you. He won't disappoint you. He won't let you down. Also, a reason to rejoice seen in this verse here, Psalm 511, is that God will defend you. Oh, I tell you. You, you might think, how can the Lord defend me? Because I mean, I, I know what I've done. I, I, I know that, that I'm, I'm guilty. I, I'm, I did the crime. There, there's no way around it. How can God defend me? But God can defend you because the crime that you committed and the time that you should have paid for the crime you committed was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. Amen. That means that he the Lord Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb of God, did, uh, did the time for the crimes that we did. He bore our sin and he bore the penalty for our sin, so therefore we can be free from it. God can defend us. As a matter of fact, how good can he defend us? To the point where Jude said that when he presents us before him, he'll present us faultless before the presence of his glory. How can we go to the mess we are to faultless? Pretty neat trick. That's how much God is a defender. How good God defends you. And if you're going to court, I want to go to court with him. Because I'll come out smelling like a rose. Hallelujah. And he also says, in the end of this verse, let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Don't you love his name? There, there's something about Christians, and I, I find this more about Christians than any other group. We as believers in the Lord Jesus, we just got something about the name. We sing songs about it. We, we sing, uh, uh, Bill Gaither uh, wrote the song, Jesus, there's something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. 
I, I hear, in my head, I hear Kirk Franklin singing, there's something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. There's something about the name Jesus that just fires us up and does something for us. We love his name and we, we are joyful in him because we love his name. Hallelujah. Rejoice always. Number two on this list of bullet points is pray without ceasing. Come on now. Pray without ceasing. Let me give you a few references. First Chronicles 16, 11 tells us to seek his face evermore. That means, uh, you know, th this prayer thing, this, this seeking the Lord's face, this is not something you just do when you're quote unquote in trouble. Because if, if you're doing that, then uh, uh, you are so... Uh, missing out on so much that God's got for you that you think prayer is just a button you press when you get into trouble and then when you're no longer in trouble, well, thanks, I'll just call you the next time I need you. Now, I tell you, for some old heathen to act that way, it's one thing, but believers ought to have better sense than that. Glory to God. Because you know what? When is there a time you don't need them? When is there a time that you say, well, Lord, I'll I just catch you the next time I need you. Man, I need them every day. My next breath is dependent on them. Is there a time when I don't need them? No, I need them all the time. Hallelujah. You know, over, you can write this down as well. Luke 18, 1, Jesus was about to, to tell a parable, and, and it, it gives us one little introductory statement that I love so much. It says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. The old King James Bible says that men always should pray and not faint. And I'll tell you, there's just something about pressing in there and always being prayerful. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6.18 says it so beautifully when it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. You know, there, there's just something about us having a spirit where we say to the Lord, I'm always on call. And something that we have emphasized in a Tuesday night prayer, I, I can't tell you how many times I've said this seemingly over and over again on, on the particular nights when I would lead Tuesday night prayer, is I would always encourage those in attendance to, to be open and sensitive to the Lord, that, that, that if they get a, a, a tap on the shoulder in the middle of the night, the Lord says, I got a prayer assignment. I got something that needs to be handled. Can, can, can I count on you to do it? that we would be those who would always be willing to be able to take any assignment the Lord gives us in the area of prayer. The Lord knows that if you were the one in the fix, you'd sure want someone to take your assignment. If you were the one in the fix, you'd sure want somebody to quickly react to the Lord's prompting if he was talking to them about you. Well, I just say to you, do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. If you'd like to have that kind of harvest, sow that kind of seed. Be those who are always ready to pray, quick to, to receive prompting from the Lord and to take it and run with it. You know, it may, it may not always be convenient. Sometimes you just get an urge to pray and don't, not, don't even know what the urge is about. Don't even know who it is. But, but you know, the, 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 the people that uh, teach uh, fire prevention have, have, have taught stop, drop, and roll. Am I right about that? Stop, drop, and roll. Well, I tell you, believers need to stop, drop, and pray sometimes. When the Lord gives you an assignment, 
He's giving it to you when it needs to, when it needs to happen. You know, you, you might be in the middle of a football game, guys, and you know, uh, you know this is, uh, we're, we're about to enter NFL playoffs. And if the Lord taps you on the shoulder in, 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 the, in the big game, guess what? Stop, drop, and pray. And thank God for the invention known as DVR, somebody. <laughs> that was an invention so men who watch football can obey God immediately and then after they're done praying, go back and watch the game. Come on. All right. Pray without ceasing. Romans 12, verse 12, tells us to continue steadfastly in prayer. You know, there, there's a quote from a, a, one of the great soldiers of, of the, the church in the last century. And he made this statement. He said, I, I never hardly pray for more than 10 minutes but I never go 10 minutes without praying. And there's something to that because what that indicates is that there's always a connection going on. There's always that something between us and the Lord that's just nonstop. You know, I mean, we may, we may not pray for long periods of time, but there's something about that connection always being there. And, and, and you know, that you just easily plug in. You know, where you don't have to prime up the pump real hard to... To, to get into a certain mode or getting into a certain uh, frame of mind or frame of heart. No, but you're just always ready. Always ready. As a matter of fact, that's what that verse, Romans 12, 12 that we quoted, talks about continuing instantly in prayer. Instant means that you can, if it needs, if there's a need in an instant, you're ready in an instant. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Number three. In everything, give thanks. The scripture says there, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I tell you, the idea of us being Thanksgiving-minded only around the fourth Thursday of November, there's a problem with that because this got to be our, our lifestyle and a part of our way of thinking as believers. Always being grateful. As a matter of fact, even when it's tougher to find things to be grateful for, that's more so the time to turn up your Thanksgiving volume. You know, I, when I was in the toughest period of my life, I had made a decision that when somebody comes to say, hey, Ray, how you doing? That my response was going to be a wholehearted God has been good to me. God has been good to me. Because there's something about keeping that Thanksgiving turned up and turned on. Where, where you're just always rejoicing in what he's done. Where, where you, you, there's, you don't have to go look far. You don't, you don't have to be creative and try to come up with something. There's plenty of things that are very obvious that we've got to rejoice about and to, the, to be thankful Four. You know, the scripture says in another place, um, Ephesians 5.20, it says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, somewhere along the way, probably a few decades back, somebody got a hold of that 
and uh, really messed it up because they, they thought, well, you got to give thanks to God always for all things. And so they were giving God thanks for things God didn't even do. But you know what? Uh, if Let's see. Mike, if you give me a gift, I'm not going to go and say thank you to Steve. I'm going to say thank you to the one who gave it to me. So, hey, if, if, you, if you're getting stuff that you know is obviously from the enemy, don't give God credit for what the enemy's doing. No, you give God credit for what he's doing. You thank him for what he's doing. See, that's, that's a very, very clear thing. It's, it's not even good manners to say thank you to somebody for something somebody else gave you. And you know, here's the thing, anything the devil's giving you, that's not a gift anyhow. He's trying to take you out, take you out as fast as he can. Ain't no gift. Ain't nothing to say thank you about. It's something to, to kick his hiney about. Come on, somebody. <laughs> say, you dare mess with me. I'm going to make you regret the day you mess with me. Because I'm going to press into God more than ever before. Press into praise more than ever before. Press into rejoicing and giving thanks and praying without ceasing more than ever before. You dare mess with me. Hallelujah. So the bottom line is just give God thanks for what the, he does. And give thanks to him all the time. The scripture says real clear, this is the will of God. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, uh, you know, you, you often hear people saying, I just want to know the will of God for my life. I want to know the will of God for my life. And, and, and to some people, it's just a big, hard to find kind of something. But, but you know, the thing that's helped me out the most and the place that I started just recognizing what the will of God is, is just going in the Bible and finding verses like this that clearly said, this is the will of God. I mean, stuff that's just no brainer. Well, then I know, I know if I do that, I'm in the will of God. And, and, and you know, it's amazing that just by simply doing that, is the road to ultimately finding the, the more specific areas of the will of God just by doing what you know the will of God is as revealed in his word. Amen? Amen. Just by doing that, you put yourself in the place where you can find out the more specific details about the will of God. Because obviously the, the Bible doesn't cover every aspect of the will of God because if, if the Bible covered every single transaction and decision you had to make in your life, that'd be one big Bible. And if it had all of your decisions and all of my decisions on all of everybody else's decisions, ooh, the world could hardly hold the book. But I tell you, what God has done is he's laid out basic guidelines of what his will is and put in us his very own spirit who happens to be the author of the book. And so anything that you say, well, I can't quite find Bible verse that says, should I buy this car or should I buy another car? That's right. That's not in the Bible. But inside of you is the Holy Ghost who will lead you and guide you in line with the word, the will of God. And will help you make right decisions. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Are you glad about that? Just a little side note for you. Uh, number four, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Now, the, the spirit can be quenched 
in, in, in several ways. I, I want to really focus in on two ways. First of all, you can quench him inside of you. But also, the, the spirit can also be quenched in, in, in the midst of an assembly. For instance, uh, the, the Holy Spirit may want to do something in, in, in a service. And, 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 and people can quench him. The, the word quench, as it's used in the New Testament, is really not used as far as quenching thirst in, in the way we think of quenching thirst. The, the way the word quench is primarily used in the New Testament is in the, the relation to quenching fire. In other words, putting out fire. Other words that describe what quench is, it's to put something out to suppress it or to stifle it. Now, let me say to you tonight, I never want to be in a place where I'm trying to put the Holy Ghost out. I never want to be in a place where I'm trying to suppress him or stifle him. No, as a matter of fact, what I want to do is I want to fully cooperate with him and never be found going in the opposite flow of the direction he's flowing in. Do not quench the spirit. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 27 says that the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. So God wants to uh, light us up, so to speak. He wants to light the lamp or, or like the, the uh, uh, old King James says, light the candle. We, our spirit, the spirit of man is the lamp or the candle of the Lord. And God wants to light us up in certain areas. Light us up so we can see certain things. Light us up to inspire us to do certain things that we need to be fired up to do. And, and when, when the Holy Ghost is firing us up to do something, when he's lighting the candle and, and leading us in a certain direction and taking us a certain way, the last thing in the world that we need to do is to quench the spirit to put out the light that he's lighting within us about a certain thing. You, you, you ever find somebody who's fired up one day about something and they're just gung-ho, they're going to do this, they, they, they know this is right, and then you find them two weeks later and all that gung-ho spirit of get up and go went out the window? Well, you know, two things are possible. First of all, they may have just ate too much pizza to begin with. Or the possibility is that they were really lit on fire of the Holy Ghost, but they allowed the fire to get quenched. That's important. Because the scripture very clearly says, quench not the spirit. You can be quenched internally. You know, after all, Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Romans teaches us not to, uh, in Romans 12, it says, uh, don't be lagging in diligence, but be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. What, what's it mean to be fervent? The word fervent means to be hot. That means you hot, you on fire, in spirit, in your spirit. So when, when, when the Holy Spirit is lighting you up in a certain area, inspiring you in a certain area, firing you up about doing a certain thing and going in a certain direction. You know, there's going to be people that want to pour water on your fire. The words of other people. 
You know, what, the, 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 some of the most famous words ever spoken to some people are, you'll never be able to do that. Of course, those words are, are much more famous when the person did it anyway. There's lots of people who did never do it because they believe those words. Don't let other people's negativity put out your fire and quench the fire of the Holy Ghost inside of you. Never let doubt put out the fire. This is very important because quench not the spirit means that there is the possibility that you can quench them. I don't want to quench him because if he's got something for me, it's good. If he's got something for me, I want it. I said, bring it on, bring it on. I don't want to miss out on anything God's got for me. Don't want to miss out on any of the work the Holy Ghost wants to do in me. I don't think so. So the spirit can be quenched inside of us individually, but also the spirit can be quenched in, in the, the, the midst of an assembly. You know, I... Uh, I, I think about, I believe it's Psalm 78 where it says about the, uh, uh, Israel that, that they tempted him, being the Lord, over and over again. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. You can limit God, limit what he wants to do, where he wanted to take you so much further. But, but, but because of our uh, lack of willingness to cooperate with him and to flow with him, he could go this far and no further, even though he wanted to go further. I think about what Jesus said as he stood and gazed out over the city of Jerusalem. said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you city where, where the prophets have been stoned. He said, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. to think that God would so want to do something and be hindered from doing it because of a lack of willingness on our part. <sighs> Let it not be so in this house. Let's be like Numbers chapter 9 describes where God was appearing in the, uh, in the midst of the congregation of the Israelites as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the instructions were crystal clear. When the cloud moves, you move. When the cloud stands still, you stand still. So if the cloud stays there, you stay there. If the cloud moves, you move. I, I love reading it because it's like God's going it over and over and over again to say, I just, I'm going to read this to you real slow. I'm going to say this to you real slow because I really want you to get it. The cloud stays, you stay. The cloud moves, you move. So if the cloud stays there for three weeks, you stay there for three weeks. And if the cloud moves, then you move. It's like God was intentionally just trying to make it as simple as can be. You don't want to stay when I'm moving and you don't want to move when I'm staying. 
And so what does that mean for us? That means that we, as a corporate body of believers, in every service we attend, we always want to be willing to go in the direction that the Holy Ghost is flowing. There's times where the worship is on and man, I'll I tell you, there's times you're almost afraid to move in the presence of God. And there's just a deep spirit of worship in the house. Go with that. As a matter of fact, I grew up in, uh, in, in, in different church settings where every time the, the Holy Ghost moved in that direction, somebody always thought they had to give a word right at that very moment. And you know what? Most of the time, that just poured water on what was going on. Is there anything wrong with words from God? No, when it's a word from God. But it's like somebody got antsy and just thought they had to do something. You don't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, I got scripture for you that you don't have to just get up and do something. It's called be still and know that I am God. But there's times that the spirit is moving in a different direction and that there's just some high praise in the house. And, and rather than, uh, you know, in one case, you could hardly, you could hardly move because of the, the, the reverence of God's presence. And then God manifests himself in a different way and you can't hardly do anything but move. But then even in settings like that, you got people that are just kind of, just as stale as a saltine cracker sitting in your back seat for a week. I mean, stales can be. God's just lighting up fireworks all over the place, and, and you know, they're just dead as a doornail. Go with the flow, go where He's going. Don't quench the Spirit. Hallelujah. All right. Number five, do not despise. Prophecies. And I know different people are on uh, different levels. So some have been exposed to more than others have. Some of you have uh, not been exposed to very much in the area of the gifts of the Spirit. Some people, y'all have been exposed to to not just fire, but wildfire. But the bottom line is that the Bible tells us very specifically, do not despise prophecies. So I'm going to go there just for a minute. You know, prophecies, you know, so some people get all excited. I want a word from the Lord. I want a word from the Lord. I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, if somebody's ministering in that, in that, in that with that, uh, prophetic edge. They say, oh, I want to sit right on the front row so, so they see me first. <laughs> but pastor, I think you'll, you, you'll say amen to this, that a lot of times, if you do get a word from the Lord, <laughs> it, it's, it's because two things. There's something good coming, but there's some warfare coming with that good thing. As a matter of fact, that's something that is really clearly stated in the word. Go to 1 Timothy. Chapter one, <laughs> it's interesting. You know, people say, yeah, give me a word, give me a word. But, but that person saying, no, give me warfare, give me warfare. No, ain't nobody saying, give me warfare. 
But a lot of times if the Lord's going to speak to you in that kind of way, the reason he's going to give you that little extra something is because you're going to need that little extra something somewhere down the road. <laughs> yeah. First Timothy chapter one, verse 18. It says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Interesting thought that the words that were spoken over Timothy, Paul said that by them you can wage the good warfare. In other words, this was given because there were signs of warfare down the road, but that was also given so that even when the pressure was on the most and the war was the most intense, you'd have that something that you can go back to. Yes, you've got the word, but the Lord in his love and mercy gave you a little extra something because he knew that that little extra something would be something that could just carry you through when you're, when you're about to give up and cave in and, and you say, yes, I remember what the Lord said. He told me. And therefore, I'm not going to go ahead and cave in. I'm not going to go ahead and falter and fall by the wayside. I'm going to hold on to that word that he spoke to me because he spoke that to me for this very reason so that I could stand through the time of trouble and through the time of warfare. You know, it's interesting. You see examples of that in the scripture. You see Agabus prophesying to Paul, binding himself. He took Paul's coat, bound himself with it, said, thus saith the Holy Ghost. The man who owns this coat is going to be bound in Jerusalem. Gave Paul some advance warning. There was warfare ahead. So God gave him a word that could help him in that time of warfare. I also see this with Mary, the mother of Jesus. When Mary and Joseph came to present Jesus in the temple, there was a man there named Simeon. And among other things that he said, he said to Mary that a sword would pierce through her heart. And truly it was so. You think of the moment when her and Jesus' disciple, John, are standing at the foot of the cross. I would say that a sword pierced through her heart. Think about the love and the mercy of God to give that extra little something when he knows you're going to need it. Hallelujah. Yet at the same time, it is no accident that right next to a verse where God said don't despise prophecies, he'd have another verse that says test all things <laughs> and hold fast to what is good. No coincidence, let me tell you. That is by design because the, the flip side of that is that not every word you get is a word from the Lord. And we are not to live our lives by every little word somebody gives us. What we do as believers having the Holy Ghost living inside of us. We're led by the Spirit of God. We're led by the Word of God. And I'll tell you, before you chase anybody around, 
who calls himself a prophet and always want to get some word from them? Let me tell you, your prophet is not your shepherd. Your shepherd is your shepherd. Just a little side note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but test all things. There's something to that. You know, I've got words from, from people that were right. I've got words from people that weren't right. And, and, and here's the thing. Some things I didn't know right away whether they were right or not. But I know that it wasn't gelling with what I had inside of me at the moment. And I said, well, Lord, I'm just going to go ahead and set this aside. Hey, if I'm missing it, you can make it clear to me. And if they're missing it, you can make that clear to me too. But you don't worry about it. You don't get up and jump. Don't get up and go and marry somebody because somebody prophesied you should. Dear Lord. I have a word for you called C-R-A-Z-Y. Crazy. So, you know, it's important that, that, that we, we're sensitive to the Lord and we don't despise prophecy. And yet at the same time, we know that God put these two verses together intentionally. Don't despise prophecy, but test all things. Hold on to what's good. Test all things. As a matter of fact, that's number six in, in our bullet points. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Write down this reference, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. The, the apostle John talked about testing the spirits and made a real clear delineation. Any spirit that does not confess that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And he was dealing with something very specific because the church at the, the, the time what was just being plagued with a false doctrine that was known as Gnosticism. And a big part of that was the belief that when Jesus came here to earth, that he just came here in some kind of spirit form and that he was not the word made flesh. Well, the apostle John dealt with that. I mean, he started off the epistle saying, hey, I'm just telling you about what I know what my eyes have seen and what my hands have handled. You can't tell me that my hands didn't handle them. I know my hands handled them. I know he came here in the flesh. So it's interesting that you, you can have error on one end where people were doubting the humanity of Jesus. A lot of the stuff we got to deal with in our day is where people are doubting the divinity of Jesus. But if you want to know what a right spirit is and what a, whether a church is right or not or a religion's right or not, you find out what they believe about Jesus because that so very clearly will show you where they stand. If you don't believe the right thing about Jesus, we can't go any further. We can't have fellowship any further because if you don't believe what is true and right about Jesus, the fellowship stops right here. It's not that you don't love somebody. It's not that you don't want to help them and win them over. But if they don't want to be won over, ain't nothing left to talk about. You know, sometimes, you know, those folks that knock on your door Saturday mornings, they don't believe the right thing about Jesus. 
So I tell you, it's interesting that the scripture would encourage us to test all things, to test spirits, to, to not just swallow something because it's on Christian television. <laughs> I got the thumbs up from my pastor, yeah. Because I, I, I tell you, man, there, there's this one guy, I can still see his face. And you know, there was a telethon going on and he's preaching, and then it was time to take the offering. And I tell you, boy, I love offering time. And I'm a cheerful giver. I tell you, I don't know if Miss Connie's here, but when I, when I bring uh, our tithes and offerings in, uh, my wife and I's blue envelope, I just go ahead and do a little dance in her office because I'm a cheerful giver. We just have a good old time. It's part of our little tradition and ritual that we have together. But, but you know, this guy's taking an offering. And he's acting like, you know what? If you don't pick up that phone right now, the, the laws of sowing and reaping are going to cease to exist. You've got five more minutes, and if you didn't do it on the sixth minute, you know what? Uh, I can't guarantee you harvest anymore. Might as well say that. Fooey. That's my friend. God said right after Noah's Ark landed and the rainbow was in the sky, God said that cold and heat, winter and summer, and sowing and reaping would not cease. And I believe in obeying God when God tells you to do something, but I know the difference between obeying God and somebody reaching into my pocket. And discernment will teach you the difference. I believe in being generous, and I believe in giving and giving big. But I don't believe and having stuff taken from me. I don't believe in being manipulated. All right. Test all things. Hold on to what's good. Well, what, what should you hold on to? Let me give you a few references. Hebrews 3, 6. Hold on to your confidence. Also in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14, chapter 10, verse 23. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to saying the same thing that God says. Hallelujah. Hold fast what is good. These are some good things to hold on to. Hold on to your confidence. Hold on to your confession. Number seven is we're wrapping up tonight. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5, abstain from every form of evil. It's interesting, I think of uh, the original King James that says abstain from the appearance of evil. And you can run with that too. Because you know, it, it's very important for us not just to not do the thing that, that's wrong, but also to, to be careful about how what we do appears to other people. Appearance matters. Because you don't want to cause a brother or sister to stumble. You don't want to cause a brother or sister to think that something's all right that's not all right because they got the wrong impression by something they saw you do or say. Or someplace they saw you. Or somebody they saw you with. We need to talk about these things. Avoid the appearance of evil. Avoid every form of evil. It uses the word abstain. 
What does the Bible say about abstaining? Well, I'll tell you, the Bible says one thing for certain. It says to abstain from sexual immorality. You know, they were having a council in uh, Acts chapter 15 of the early church, and they were all gathered together and, and uh, deciding what, whether uh, uh, how the Gentiles should, uh, should, what requirements should be on Gentile believers who are coming in. Do, do we require them to be circumcised like the Jews are? Keep the law of Moses like the, like the Jews? What do we require? And they, requ they required, it said, it seemed good to us in the Holy Ghost that, that we would just require these necessary things. One of those things was that they should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God. Remember we said before about finding those specific places in the scripture that says this is the will of God? 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So I want to do the will of God for my life. Well, we, we know you ain't going to be hanging with Ben. Or Ralph. No offense, Ralph. I see you back there. We know you're going to be hanging out with... Uh, I need to think of a girl's name who's not here. I hope LaQuisha's not in the house tonight. All right. But you got to abstain from things that aren't right. The Bible is very clear about abstaining from sexual sin. The scripture says in Proverbs 14, 16 that a wise person abstains from evil. You want to be wise? That's how to be wise. And also as we close up tonight, talking about abstaining from every form of evil, you want to live a long life? Abstain from evil. Psalm 34, 12 to 14 says, Who's the person who desires life? And loves many days that they may see good. Keep your tongue from evil. Lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You want to live a long time and have a good, long, fruitful, productive life? Flee from evil and do the right thing. Abstain from evil. Evil is not good for your spirit, not good for your health either. Glory to God. So these are seven bullet points that I tell you, if you brush up on these and tighten up on these, it'll make it that your 2011 is a little bit of heaven. Amen. Glory to God.